Welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast. Hi everyone and welcome once again to the Sports Pro Podcast. My name is Owen Connolly. I'm the editor-at-large at Sports Pro. Hope you're well. So then, the group stages are over, the round of 16 has been halved, but we are still on our journey through UEFA Euro 2020, joining England and Switzerland and the rest on the way to the quarterfinals of a competition that's really caught light in the last week. And this time, we're going to be looking at fans and audiences. A little bit later on, we'll be hearing from John T. Whitehead, the co-founder and president of Sportbuff, about the possibilities of gamification in sports media. But before that, we have one of the most talked about partnerships around the tournament, featuring one of the most talked about companies anywhere over the last 18 months. TikTok got on board with UEFA only this year, and SportsPro Deputy Editor Sam Karp has been talking to James Rothwell, TikTok's Head of Marketing for EMEA, about what it's been doing to connect with fans and with football over the last few weeks. James describes how TikTok hopes to bring the fan conversation to its platform as part of a longer-term commitment to the sport and how it's measuring the impact of Euro 2020 on its community. He also helps to identify the type of content that's captured the imagination so far, from user-generated posts and trends to Ed Sheeran's live-streamed concert, and he lays out some of TikTok's policies on abusive speech and maps out its plans for the future. Very quick reminder before we start that SportsPro APAC is next week as we're talking. That's on the 7th and 8th of July, so this is your final call for it here. It's a conference looking at transformation and rebuilding momentum across the APAC region. Some great speakers and fascinating sessions lined up, and you can find out all about that at sportsproapac.com, sportsproapac.com. That's going to have a bit of a knock-on effect to our podcast output next week. Uh, We're going to be wrapping up after each day of the event, and we're then expecting to bring you an end-of-tournament review of everything that's gone down at UEFA Euro 2020 uh, towards the end of the week, rather than in the regular Thursday slot. We'll probably be recording before the final as well, so uh, you'll have to promise not to spoil that for us. And one more piece of news to bring your attention to, Matt Rogan the host of the excellent Playbook series of podcasts, among a great many other things in his career, has a new book out that he's written with Kerry Potter. All to Play For, How Sport Can Reboot Our Future is available now, and I'm going to be talking to Matt about it on a special edition of the podcast that you'll be able to catch imminently. It's coming out the day after the one you're listening to right now, Uh, so you're getting it tomorrow if you're keen and you listen to these on the day of release, and whenever you want it, if you're listening to it after that, if that makes sense. Anyway, something that we should be able to make a bit more sense of over the next half an hour is TikTok's relationship with UEFA Euro 2020. Let's hand over to James Rothwell and Sam Karp. You're listening to the Sports Pro Podcast. James Rothwell, Head of Marketing across Europe, the Middle East and Africa for TikTok. Welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast. Thanks very much, Sam. It's great to be here. Yeah, great to have you with us, um, especially at this point in time, because uh, you know we're obviously in the middle of Euro 2020, which TikTok is, of course, a sponsor of, marking the first time that the company has been a sponsor of an event of, of this scale. Obviously, that deal was announced in, uh, in early February. Uh, I think it was pretty much exactly four months before the first game kicked off, actually. Um, so, you know, first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm quite keen to hear a little bit about how the deal came about, because... You know, I suppose a, a lot of people became familiar with TikTok over the past year because of the pandemic, the situation we've been in. So, you know, was it, was it kind of an opportunistic move in a way or had it, had it been in the pipeline even before COVID? Yeah, I, I would describe it as a situation where the stars aligned. We talk all the time in our marketing group about moving at the speed of culture. And I would say that this sponsorship has definitely put that to the test. We, we've really had to sprint to get this one out of the door. And it's been a, a wild ride and a lot of fun. You know, the realistically, the tournament being pushed back by a year opened the door for us to come on board as a sponsor. You know, it, it's kind of easy for, to forget that TikTok has only really existed in Europe for just over two years. And the last 18 months in particular, 
has been a really meteoric rise. So I think if we had been in the pack of sponsors talking to UEFA in 2018, 2019, we simply wouldn't have reached the scale or perhaps even the stature as a brand to work on a, a sponsorship of this magnitude. The growth that we've experienced over the last 18 months um, has been extraordinary. We're very, very proud of it. I think our goal is to become the most relatable brand on the internet. And as we've grown, as we've started engaging with more audiences, and as we've really committed to Europe as a region, it became very evident that to play the role in culture that we want to play, we have to show up in football. You know, football is one of the lifebloods of European culture. I think Euro 2020 and all the Euro tournaments are a celebration of culture. And we saw a window of opportunity where the Euros launching this summer with the region coming back offline was something that we were just so excited to be part of. So, you know, we, talk, we started talking to UEFA in September 2020. We spent, you know, a couple of months working up the structure of the deal. We profile very differently as a sponsor because we're also a content publisher. We're a media platform. We have social edges. So the role that we can play in the broader entertainment landscape around the Euros makes us very different from other brands. Um, and we look to structure our relationship accordingly. And hopefully you've seen some of the amazing work that not just UEFA, but all of the associations, players, pundits have been doing on TikTok. I think we've really been able to create an ecosystem around football. So as I said, I think the stars have aligned. You know, the extra year gave us an opportunity to come in and structure this deal as we would want to structure it. And since we announced on February, we, we've been moving pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to come on to that because obviously a lot of the sponsors were announced, you know, well in advance of this. And I suppose some brands spend, you know, years planning for an activation around an event like this. Whereas, you know, as I said, you guys only announced this in February. You say you only started talking in September. Um, you know, just how quickly did everything have to come together from a sort of planning and activation standpoint? I would say um, we, we announced on February 11th, um, we felt very good about the the relationship we were building with UEFA uh, from Christmas onwards. So realistically, we've had six months to, to plan our campaign, our content activations, our broader relationship with football. So, you know, not a, a tremendous amount of time, but we have to move at that speed as an organization. You know, our product is culture uh, it's zeitgeist community it's very difficult for us to anticipate what someone will want from tiktok in 18 months so we have to be nimble and agile as a team you know if you can think back to january and february time when we launched our sea shanty campaign the amazing story of nathan evans a postman from scotland being discovered on tiktok we identified that trend on a tuesday and the tv campaign launched on primetime TV on a Saturday night. So, you know, we're a marketing team that can go from trend to TV in four days, which is almost impossible. But we have a real confidence in our visual identity, our tone of voice, the way that we like to place content and creators at the heart of our brand and communications. So we have a playbook that works well for us. Um, so we were always confident about the way that we could execute the creative, the brands, the media components of the sponsorship. I think what's really taken us by a very pleasant surprise is just the way that football as an ecosystem has really embraced TikTok. You know, players, teams, associations, onboarding, the fan conversation has gone from strength to strength. The level of creativity that we're seeing from our users around football has just been mind-blowing. And, you know, the, the real milestone for me is when we announced this partnership on February 11th, hashtag football had 70 billion views on TikTok. Now, four months later, we're over 130 billion views. So we, we've doubled in four months. We have almost every major club team in Europe on the platform. We have many, many national players. So... We, we probably weren't ready to be embraced as we have by, by fans in the sport. Um, 
so for that side of the bargain to, to happen so quickly has been pretty special. But as a marketing group, yeah, I think we have the infrastructure and the appetite in place to be able to move at that speed. Yeah, for sure. So um, it's really interesting to hear. And I'm, I'm going to come back to sort of some of the, I suppose, maybe some of your, your favorite examples of how, you know, players and, and teams have been using the platform. But um, before before we do come on to that, I wanted, I wanted to ask you, because, you know, in recent years, it's not been unusual to see major sporting events, um, whether it be like the Olympics or something or the World Cup or the Euros, um, strike kind of content partnerships with, I suppose, new media platforms, whether it be something like Snapchat or um, or Twitter. But there aren't that many examples of where we've seen one of those companies actually sponsor the event. You know, why did, why did it feel like that route was right for you guys? Is it is it because you are kind of still relatively new, so there was kind of that awareness um, side to it as well? Uh, or, was, or was it purely because, as you've kind of said already, that you can you really can contribute to the, the broader kind of conversation around the tournament anyway? I think there are multiple paths into a sporting event like this. The reality is, you know, we've seen the football community and, and multiple partners migrating to TikTok over the last year. The fact that we were at 70 billion views for hashtag football before we announced speaks to that. But for us, this is a, you know, we wanted to make a very visible commitment to the sports. We wanted to announce our arrival to football fans across Europe. But we also wanted to leave no stone unturned in making sure that we maximise the opportunity. And of course, we already had great football content on TikTok, but we wanted to take a very forensic, ambitious approach to what we could do. UEFA is launching its first ever live streams on TikTok and that work has been incredible. The access that the deal has given us to some of the most iconic moments of the Euros over the last 25 years and the way that we've been able to utilize that in our brand advertising is a real privilege. And I think we've executed some of the the best work we've done because of that access. I think showing up in the moments that matter as a brand, delivering just a moment of surprise and delight during halftime of a tough game with our sponsorship package because we're able to integrate into media, but also, you know, making that commitment to the sport as a whole and the way that that's opened the door for us to tackle football from the Euros all the way through to grassroots, we felt like it was a, an appropriate step to take. And as I said, we've been absolutely delighted with the response that we've had so far. So, um, you know, you only get to do something for the first time once and we wanted to do it properly. Sure, sure. Um, you know, in the, in the announcement, it said that you, you were going to be launching a load of features for the tournament, obviously augmented reality effects, hashtag challenges. I saw the World in Motion one before the tournament, which was, which was really good fun. Um, TikTok lives and sounds. Um, you know, how, how have you, I know that you mentioned already that you kind of doubled the views of um, the hashtag football, uh, the football hashtag. Um, but how, how have you seen people engage with those things in the, in the platform more broadly during the tournament? You know, is there, is there anything in particular that, that users have really been, been buying into? Yeah, for sure. I, I think, you know, we're looking to identify the impact of this campaign across all corners of our business. So, you know, the marquee live streams that we've had so far have been really special. And I think the pinnacle of that was the Ed Sheeran concert on Friday night. Just an incredible moment for the music community, an incredible moment for TikTok. And for Ed Sheeran to host the halftime show of the Euros exclusively on our platform you know it's just so exciting and I thought the the event as a whole was was incredible we invested very early on in in giving fans the tools to express themselves in and around the tournament you know whether that's being able to turn anything into a football for keepy uppies with an AR feature to allowing fans to do their own trophy tour with an AR feature to having a football hub within the product where you can not just follow scores and news and team updates, but also, you know, millions and millions of, of TikToks and just an incredible UGC conversation. We really wanted to do this soup to nuts. Um, we've invested in some brilliant content partnerships. So, you know, from product to content to brands, we've tried to show up everywhere that we can. So to answer your question, of course, we're we're monitoring the overall consumption and engagement of football content on TikTok. But we've also been blown away by our creation rates, 
new consumers coming to the platform, um, the way that our brand has permeated social conversation, not just within our user base, but more broadly. I think TikTok has really become unmissable as a brand during the Euros. And I think our share of voice during such an important moment for the region has been great. So from brands to content creation and consumption to product innovation, um, so far we're, we're really, really happy with the relationship that we've built with UEFA and the way that we've showed up during the tournament. When you sort of talk about it like that, it makes me think a lot about this kind of, you know, the second screen experience that a lot of people go on about in, in relation to watching live sport these days. Um, and you, you mentioned earlier as well that you guys kind of want to be the brand of choice. How, mu how much of that is, is that playing into your thinking as well? You know, the fact that I suppose, especially with this tournament, more than any other Euros in the past, people are probably going to be watching at home. They're going to be on their phones while they're watching um, and kind of, you know, essentially wanting to sort of own that that second screen experience yourself. Is that kind of something that you've sort of put front of mind in, in this strategy as well? It's a really interesting question. I, I mean, I am just a religious sports fan myself. Uh, I absolutely love the Euros. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure there is a replacement for live sport. Uh, you know, either watching in the stadium or watching on TV. Nothing is as captivating and as exhilarating as, as watching your team play live. So, you know, there's only so much any second screen experience can compete with that. I just think that's the reality of sport. It's, it's unmissable. I think what's so exciting about the way that a, a brand and a product like TikTok can enter the space is providing commentary, colour, context on something you love from so many different perspectives. I think the way that we've brought communities together for the Euros has been really interesting. I think we've given fans a different way of expressing themselves. I think when you're desperately waiting between five games for the next England match, you know, we're giving you a, a completely new stream of content to engage with, to get closer to the players and the team, to meet fans. So I think we're, we're building a conversation around the tournament. We're allowing it, it to, to live on in between games. I don't think we're competing with the live experience. I think we're, we're building during it, but most importantly, everything around it. And our commitment to football won't end after the Euros. We're hoping that this is an ecosystem that we can continue to build. So second screen, for sure. But for me, it's the, the broader community conversation ecosystem that we've seen emerging over the last couple of months. And what we can do for that in the long term, which is really where our focus is. Yeah, for sure. And um, uh, and we, we sort of touched on it already. You talked about the fact that this has obviously kind of allowed TikTok to be part of, you know, be part of really memorable moments. Um, and obviously feed into sort of wider conversation as well. And I think about you know, if you think back to Euro 16, there were sort of very, there are sort of some images which stand out from it. So for example, the Iceland celebration with their fans is something that naturally sort of fed onto social and is something that a lot of people adopted. And you'd think would, is something that would have easily caught on it, caught on with TikTok at the time. And I said, I said, I was going to ask you this earlier, but you know, as, as, are there any sort of specific examples you can think of from the first couple of weeks of the tournament where, you know, there is something that has caught on or there is a particular piece of content that maybe one of the players or, or one of the teams has done that, you know, has really resonated with them. I think we've already had some absolutely iconic moments in this tournament. I, I mean, the, you know, a very sad start in the opening weekends with, with Christian Eriksen, but actually a reminder of unity in football and very powerful images of fans coming together. And I think Denmark has become the darling of the tournament and everyone's second team. I think that was, you know, a very arresting start. Bale's half-time talk in the huddle was pretty rousing. You know, the, the passion and emotion of the Italian players in the lineup, uh, German celebrations, you know, showing hearts and a, a commitment to the LGBT community uh, and really kind of reinforcing that the sport is for everyone. We're two weeks in, and that those, to me, you've got a roster of just incredible incredible moments and actually you know the, the way that we've built out our brand campaign is modular and it looks to couple great content and footage from the tournament with amazing UGC and we're pretty excited about the way that we're going to be able to integrate some of those moments into our brand communications as we look to round out the rest of the tournament so 
yeah, I, I think really, really iconic moments already. I know that you mentioned the uh, the, the celebrations of the German players and and the, the sort of reminder that this that, that football is for everyone. And I know that one of one of the things that you guys did kind of as an extension of, of your relationship with UEFA is, is partner with them on their um, their sign for an equal game campaign. Uh, which is all about joining the fight against discrimination. Um, can you can you just kind of elaborate a little bit more on that and sort of what what that what that partnership with them entails and, and what kind of work you've been doing around that? Yeah, I mean, when we when we first started exploring the opportunity to to partner with UA for Fury twenty twenty, our focus was really on what bringing football to TikTok would mean for us. And I think since we announced the partnership, our focus has been much more how can we bring the best of TikTok to football? You know, if again, if you cut us down the middle, our product is community and culture. I think our values of creativity, positivity, you know, we might be the last sunny corner of the internet community. We really wanted to bring that to the sport. And, you know, the opportunity to work with UEFA on Sign for an Equal Game really reinforces all of those brand values and so the way that we can give our creators and our community a voice the way that we can provide a media platform that reaches hundreds of millions of people uh, to support UEFA in, in sharing that message and you know really give them a platform to drive adoption and participation it was a complete no-brainer for us uh, and we're very very br- proud to be partnering on it yeah for sure and I guess it's obviously pretty pertinent at the moment too because obviously the past year has really shone a light on on, on hate speech and, and the abuse that players do receive on on their social platforms just kind of I guess more broadly speaking just a question about you know how you guys kind of monitor that monitor that and sort of what you sort of are doing to I guess, I guess the focus predominantly has been on platforms like Twitter and Instagram first and foremost but just just interested to hear kind of what you guys do on that side of things as well to to make sure that the experience that players are having on your platform is you know an enjoyable one. I think trust and safety is such an important focus for us. You know, again, our product is built around creativity and a connection. And to be creative, you have to feel safe. It really is as simple as that. So we spend a tremendous amount of time, energy and resource on moderation, our community guidelines and the overall experience that users have on TikTok, because that's our business model it's our you know it's our reason to exist you know beyond the sign for an equal game partnership we also launched our own swipe out hate campaign in the lead up to the tournament you know my perspective on this and i you know speak for the values of the company on this front is that you know there is zero tolerance for hate speech in football and there is absolutely zero tolerance for hate speech on tiktok we are a community-driven product um, we stand for inclusion and positivity and connection. And we wanted to make that very, very clear going into the tournament. And again, it's really important that we bring our own brand values and our organizational values into football uh, and stand by them. Uh, and again, over the weekend with our perimeter boards going out, we, we repivoted our our main brand communications from where fans play to where all fans play. You'll see more of that rolling out over the next couple of days. Um, but we in, we intend to stand by a community and for positive connection on the internet at all costs. It, it's incredibly important to us. For sure. Yeah, that's, that's good to hear. And um, just going back to kind of the some of the stuff that you've been doing around the tournament, I know you alluded to um, last Friday's uh, concert with Ed Sheeran um, performing at Portman Road, home of his club at Ipswich Town who will be sponsoring next season um you know it's it's interesting it's interesting to see because obviously a lot of people don't necessarily associate TikTok with live with live stuff it's it's, it's typically um the short the short form sort of viral moments I suppose um when you are doing these live streams uh you know what what's what's the purpose of those how do you how do you find that kind of stuff performs does it does it does it drive a lot of people to the platform does it have to be a sort of situation where you do have someone like Ed Sheeran working with you to make it worthwhile I think we will continue to invest in product features that enable creativity whether it's an AR effect a sticker a hashtag challenge or a live everything we do is to give our, our creator community a voice and to help them create content that will entertain and inspire our user base 
there are obviously tentpole moments within that strategy. Friday was just incredible. You know, I couldn't take my eyes off the stream for an hour. I watched it again on Saturday morning. I just thought it was an amazing feat of live streaming and tech. And I think it speaks to just the, the quality of content on TikTok. We're driven by culture uh, and conversation. And, you know, our live product creates an opportunity for consumers to be there when it happens in the moment to connect over shared interests and passions. And, you know, I think this was just a, an amazing moment for us in the context of an already really exciting partnership with UEFA. So really, um, we just want to connect consumers to the content that they love and we'll continue to invest in creative tools that enable that live being a, a brilliant example. I know you've kind of spoken a little bit about, um, I suppose, how you're sort of measuring the success of this partnership already in terms of the number of, the number of people that are coming to the platform during the tournament. Um, but also, you know, when you think of, well, I suppose when people think of TikTok, I, I think they probably still think of a platform that is predominantly used by Gen Z, you know, 16 to 24 year olds. Uh, but as I, I suppose as I alluded to earlier, the last year is maybe change that a little bit you know you've you've had videos of dads participating in lockdown challenges for example um and you know and, and given the fact that the euros do have such a global audience people of different ages watching do you feel like this has also opened you up to a new audience in a, in a way i do uh, to your point we, we've been on an amazing journey over the last year you know if you think about some of the, the greatest trends that have broken out on TikTok from sea shanties, you know, old naval songs to baking, to cranberry juice, you know, to families coming together to dance the blinding lights. These trends cut through demographics, they cut through audiences, they bring people together. And as I said, our, our goal is to become the most relatable brand on the internet, which means we need to be for everyone and appeal to all taste profiles and all passions and interests. Of course, I think the, the Euros allows us to speak to multiple audiences, but really, you know, it, it's a commitment to football, which is such an important cultural aspect of Europe. And our ability to celebrate with the region when we've got a lot to be hopeful for. Um, but, you know, even with the Euros, we're still bringing the, the best of our, our brand values, our creativity. So. We're staying very true to who we are, but I think the way that our product is built, the way that our communities come together over shared interests, you know, whether we're working on music or sports or gaming or entertainment, um, we hope that we're we're just investing to to create content and connect communities with the, the interests they love. James, just before I let you go, just one last question because I'm conscious that we are we are coming up to half an hour now. But um, yeah, I mean, I can almost I can almost anticipate what your answer is going to be based on kind of based on how this conversation's gone. But you know, looking beyond the Euros, uh, which which might be hard to do given that we've still got a couple of weeks left. There's so much left to happen, including um, obviously Germany, England, as we spoke about before we actually came online. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, is is this partnership a precursor to you know? more from you guys in football do you, could, you know can we expect to see similar similar stuff happening down the line whether it be with you know other events or or other teams as well yeah well before this podcast goes out i hope we haven't both had our hearts broken by germany on tuesday night um so touch wood and fingers crossed but as i said you know we're we're making a long-term commitment to the football community we've been delighted by what we've seen on the euros and absolutely, this is not a one and done. And I think there are multiple ways that we can continue to invest in the, in the sport and to show up for football fans. Some will be iconic, big moments like the Euros, and some will be grassroots and, and a very, very TikTok approach to driving a creative conversation around the sport. But when the tournament ends on July the 11th, football will still be a major focus for us. And we're really excited about what we're going to be able to do over the next couple of years. Awesome. Well, that's very exciting to hear, James. And uh, yeah, thank you very much again for joining us. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Hello, I'm Matt Rogan. I've spent my career creating and scaling businesses in sports and entertainment. And now I'm talking to smart leaders inside and outside sport 
to get their ideas on managing change and building towards a better future. You can listen in on the Playbook podcast, a collection of candid, agenda-free conversations full of practical advice your company can work with. Get your new episodes right here on the Sports Pro feed and check out the rest of the series wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Sports Pro podcast. Thanks to Sam Carp and James Rothwell for their time just now. Up next, we're taking on the future of sports content from another angle. Sportbuff has been working with broadcasters and rights holders in sports, gaming and betting, including the likes of FIFA, FIBA, Formula E and Atta Football, to add layers of interactivity to their live and on-demand video. And we're going to be hearing from John T. Whitehead, the former BN Sky Sports and Fox Sports executive, who is now the co-founder and president of Sportbuff, about the opportunities that come with gamifying the sports viewing experience and getting back control of the second screen. He spoke to me about the integration of new products and services that engage fans and provide alternative revenue streams, how this generation of interactivity differs from what's gone before it and what the implications of that will be, the lessons from viewing trends on Twitch and in the esports space and more besides. I'm going to leave you with that and thank you once again for listening. Enjoy what's coming up. I'll speak to you again very soon. This is the Sports Pro Podcast. John T. Whitehead, founder and president of Sport Buff. Welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast. Good morning. John T., um, it's, it's great to have you with us. We're going to be talking about interactivity and the kind of the, the new two way relationship between fans and, uh, and sports content, including live matches and, and live events. But Let's just uh, set a bit of context first. I'll, I'll give you an opportunity to introduce Sport Buff to our audience and uh, just give everyone a sense of what it is that you guys are working on. Yes, thank you, Owen. So, so Sport Buff um, is a layer that sits over the top of wherever video uh, is produced, the video player, um, and we are an interactive layer that allows gamification, interaction, the chance to gamify the experience. The more that you interact, the more points you earn. The more right you are, the more points you earn. And you see yourself within a leaderboard. That competition element within yourself is sparked. And you're gamifying the experience. Um, and it's a way of bringing in all the content that is happening elsewhere. As a, as a former linear broadcaster, you'd spend a lot of money on rights. Um, and yet the conversation about the great goal, what was said in your studio, is happening elsewhere on another platform. And what Sport Buff allows you to do is bring that content back in across your rights, across your property, um, because you paid the money for them. And you're working with, um, you know, a few different broadcasters in sport and uh, and across the kind of the gaming sector as well. And, and, and we'll get into that too. But... Why is this happening now, this, this, this conversation that people are having about personalization and gamification of, uh, of sports streams? As you see it, what's the problem beyond the one that you just explained there that, that broadcasters are, are needing to solve here? I think there's a disenfranchised feeling from a, from a younger generation. Um, you know, you only have to spend any time. And this is not just a younger generation, but it's a modern viewer. The time that you spend watching um, that lean-back experience is, is cut down. You're on your phone, you're on your device. And if you're alienating uh, those fans, that next generation, and when, when you think about it, Gen Z uh, in the US is something like 68 million people. It's the biggest demographic in, in that region. And if they're used to interacting with their media, um, at a at a really high level, um, and suddenly, if broadcasters, if rights holders, aren't providing that means of interaction, of getting their voice heard, of feeling part of a community, then they're not going to be your next subscribers. They're not going to be um, signing up for your pay per view event. So it's imperative now that we cater for this next generation because if we don't. Um, 10 years from now, the, the landscape is going to look very, very different. And 20 years from now, even more so. And funny enough, uh, just this week, I had a, 
uh, a catch-up conversation with David Hill, the ex-chairman of, of Fox Sports uh, out in the US. And you know, we were talking about this issue that's facing so many broadcasters, so many rights holders, uh, and the people that solve it are going to really open um, big revenue, but revenue that's also available to the broadcaster, the da- the data that's then available to the to the broadcaster. So, uh, on many levels, it's it's something that has to happen. It will happen, and we think we believe we know that Sport Buff are are leading uh, by example uh, with the best in class solution. How much of this is coming from within the sports audience? So changes within the sports audience. You know, you you mentioned second screens there, and the fact that people are people are kind of interacting during a, a, a traditional linear broadcast, but they're just doing it on another device or on another service or or what have you. And how much of it is coming from other types of audience, from whether it's you know gaming or esports or or online betting, or audiences where people are used to playing some part in the, in the content that they're watching. I think it's a you know it's a combination of two things just the way that that media has developed in in all aspects it becomes easy access you know it's very easy to 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 switch on twitter and get your latest news feed it's very easy to check what your your bet is doing it's very easy um to look at what your mates are doing on on instagram but that doesn't help a broadcaster. That doesn't help um, keeping eyes on your platform, eyes on your show, exposing them to your advertisements, to your sponsorship. So by bringing that uh, experience back across uh, the main content is, is what we aim to do here at, at Sport Buff. So, you know, it, it, it sort of makes it amuses me sometimes when you see, um, you know, traditional broadcasters sending people away, in effect, from their platform. Let us know what you feel on Twitter. Uh, please give us your views. Vote on this poll on, on Twitter. When, when the technology now exists on digital devices to make that, to, to enable that to happen across actually that premium content. You know, a second screen experience, which is the way uh, that this has developed in the, in the last few years, you're still taking your eyes off the main product. You're moving people away to a companion app. But surely you, you want to keep those eyes focused on what everyone wants to see. That conversation about that great goal, that should happen here. If you want to compare Zlatan's overhead kick to, you know, Rooney's overhead kick or and Percy's, you know, that conversation can happen within full view of the actual premium event that you're that you're watching. And how much are we are we preparing ground here as well for other ways to use that kind of interactive relationship, whether that's integrating betting streams or integrating merchandising? Is that is that a conversation that you're a part of or is that something that you think, you know, is is gonna happen separately but but that broadcasters need to be aware of how they get direct monetization, e-commerce, that kind of thing. And yeah, yeah, we're very much a uh, part of that conversation because this technology, um, it's adaptable to, to everything that you just spoke about there. So, you know, bringing that, that gaming, that betting experience over the top of it, of course, you know, there's, there's massive utility that, that we can prove in that aspect, but also just in effect, the, um, the merchandising, you know, we're, we're enabling uh, people, uh, broadcasters, uh, rights holders, to understand the habits of those particular uh, fans, so that you know if they're if they're essentially watching always Man United games, they're interacting with Man United games, they're a Man United supporter. You know that then if there's a play on merchandise, if Fernandez scores a goal for uh, for, for Manchester United. You can serve that that merchandising content after the goal. You said, "Do you want to? Do you want to assign shirt? Do you want the opportunity to win tickets to the next home game?" All that becomes obvious because you're building layers of data on the people that are that are interacting with it, uh, and it's that data. It, it, it's important to say is the partners' data, so that you know we have a frictionless uh, signing on because we we sit within their platforms so that means that that they're building 
a level of data on those participants that they wouldn't naturally or normally be able to receive. Let's dive in a bit to some of the some of the things that you've been doing with with different partners. I mean, what um, what's a good introductory project that you guys have been working on? Because you you know it's quite a broad range that you're doing um, across esports and across uh, across traditional sports, across emerging sports that that might have a more mobile first audience. What, but where would you where would you start if you were if you were to say right this is this is what this looks like. Uh, so, funnily enough, as it's sort of front of mind, is we've just uh, done a deal with NWSL from from the US, the US American League, and we're across a game this weekend. So they've had the foresight and the initiative to put games globally on the Twitch channel. We have a, a Twitch extension that any caster on, on Twitch can just switch on, and it allows gamification. It allows a rich layer of data to be delivered. So, you know, for every um, viewer this weekend, they'll be able to see uh, an NWSL game to a global audience. And it gives you a preview of, of what we do. It's, it's once you play along, once you understand the content that you're serving, you'd, you'd never leave. And, it, it, and, it, and it's really noticeable that in that we have uh, a rich team of data that, that shows that if, if Sport Buff is enabled over Twitch content, if the um, if the viewer is enabled and playing along, then we see sometimes up to ten, even twenty times longer view time, which is again as a broadcaster is something that we really need to happen. Incidentally, uh, you know, I was speaking to Peter Hutton, head of, head of global partnerships uh, at Facebook, and he they have very similar experience when people are engaged using the tools that they provide then um, that retention, that view time uh, becomes much greater, exposing, you know, sponsors, etc. But But aside from that NWSL, which is a sort of a Twitch extension, we also have a very, uh, our, our longest partner is, is with Atta Football, again, an American women's soccer platform. Again, global content. We uh, are able to gamify the Premier League, English Premier League, the Women's Premier League in England uh, with Sport Buff. And again, that's a live content. Again, it's a really, really good experience. And when we're with partners like that, we allow, we're always iterating the product. So we've just had another a couple of new features have come on uh, this last week um, where we could we can have a slider emoji from from when you rate an experience, but also uh, announcement buffs where we can serve additional data into or additional information within to any particular stream that people are watching and enjoying. Um, we're also um, working closely with Party Poker across their streams and channels, uh, again, gamifying the experience, allowing people to give their opinion to play along. And, and to go right the way back to, you know, we had an award-winning campaign with FIFA where we're, because we, we can not just serve live content, but we can also uh, really enhance and enrich archive content. And that to, uh, to rights holders, to broadcasters, is really, really important because people have seen the old games, they've, they've watched along, over many years, but now we can give a whole new experience to that by serving tri- trivia over over the top questions, etc. So again, it's another form of content that, that that we really, really enhance. Yeah, what's the editorial challenge there? I mean, you where where's the line between you're just serving pop up stuff that keeps people engaged and keeps people interacting with uh, with their screens? And, you know, something that either a rights holder or a broadcast partner is going to say this actually is going to bring people into our world a little bit more and, uh, and, and help them learn more about the game or the league or, or the people involved. Yeah, I mean, that edutainment uh, side of things is, is really important, you know, and it's, it's a fine line, as you say, you're absolutely correct about prediction of what, what do you remember is happening but also every goal, every goal scorer. Then you've got an ability to ask questions about about his career, about how many goals he got in a, a, any particular season, and and a lot of our success uh, as well has been uh, enhancing 
the modern vogue for for watch along events or sidecasting as a, as a lot of people are caused uh, are calling them now because again that's a community it's a community that are watching the event and therefore if you could gamify that experience if you could get them all competing together that's what people are looking for that's what the next generation are looking for is that community feel but also a personalized experience and that's that's exactly what what sport buff allows you to do it's interesting that you're working in those two worlds kind of simultaneously a little bit so you have your partnerships in in the esports space and you you know you've talked a lot a lot about the twitch extension and and working in that world where would you say the cultural development is between those two spaces between people who are what you know watching content somewhere like twitch where all of those community elements a lot of those interactive elements direct monetization is already built in and audiences who are more used to the lean back traditional broadcast experience but perhaps their behavior as you said at the start is their behavior is already existing but it's not it's not offered through the the live product it's offered uh somewhere elsewhere simultaneously yeah i think you know the difference that we see between uh our partners in in esports that are you know stream on twitch etc and perhaps more traditional broadcasters is the understanding of innovation, if you like. So partners on Twitch, they're looking to to enhance the experience to to because they're, you know, I think the average age of viewers on on, on Twitch is is under thirty, so or under thirty-three. So, you know, there's a natural propensity to want to interact and, and you need to serve them. I think with broadcasters, because the the model is working it's it, it's running it's there's no need for real innovation to change what they need to identify is that as we spoke about earlier on is that there there will be there is a a dilution of their of their audience because they're missing out in time on on that younger generation so i understand the world of of, of linear broadcasters i understand that there isn't the need or the the opportunity really to, to 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 innovate yet because it's not you need to do this tomorrow you need to do this the next day but it is something that needs to happen and it's something that needs to happen relatively quickly so the awful thing about about covid was that people were stuck at home people had didn't have live sport but the broadcasters realized there was a need for for innovation so they made progress over a few months that that would have happened over the course of the next years and i think that's given a spur to a lot of these uh major broadcasters to understand that there is a need to change there is a need to provide interaction with their with their content and uh and so that yeah that, there's very much two sort of ways of looking at it you have uh, young partnerships with with innovative forward-looking brands that, that that understand the real need uh to to speak to these younger this younger audience and a more traditional broadcaster that needs to offer choice it needs to cater for that lean bat experience that premier sport experience on a big screen with your family around you but they also essentially need to offer choice and interaction to those that want it that's that's really really important and i think that's what sky did back in back in you know when i when i was there back it, it offered choice it offered more and i think broadcasters need to do that essentially you know we have all these digital channels now and devices and the and the experience the the, the program that's delivered to all those devices is the same as the linear one and, and surely um, the technology is there to now enable them to be truly interactive experiences. Yeah, I mean, I think you're you're referring to the interactive sports coverage that came out um, when Sky went into digital satellite broadcasting. What's the difference between, what, when was that, about 22, 23 years ago? What's the difference between that era and you know 
the the appetite among audiences for that type of experience then and what we're seeing now in in digital broadcasting and in the ott space uh, and and live streaming and interactive streams what's the difference in audience appetite and audience behavior that, that we're seeing well i think audiences now understand from the rest of their media what they can do so so if they're interacting with uh, influencers or their friends on instagram you know they're they're used to that experience back in sort of the days of of player cam etc it was something different but it wasn't it wasn't truly interactive uh, you could you could switch between your cameras but the, the the main difference is now is that people are looking for a really personalized experience and they're looking for that sense of community so they're looking to be uh, in contact with their friends the whole time and they're looking to receive information that is personal to them um, so in a way Owen when you when you watch a game there are certain places that you will visit to get the information that's adding to your experience. What sport buffers can do is, it, 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 is to bring that unique experience by letting you play against your friends. The friends that you're talking to on WhatsApp or on Twitter are within your experience across the main broadcast. Uh, that information on, you know, betting information that, that, that you'd go looking for, that can be delivered across your content as well. And even as we talked about earlier, that merchandise ex- experience, so that if, you know, if we're getting towards half time and you normally, you know, might book a pizza or, you know, even something like that, it's personal enough to be able in time to deliver exactly that to you. Okay. And where, where is this, just to wrap up, where is all of this going over the next couple of years? What are some of the milestones that, that you're looking out for in terms of, in terms of adoption and and how is this going to change change the broadcast experience for a lot of fans? I think uh, what needs to happen is that this interactive experience needs to be available to to all viewers that want it. It needs to be ubiquitous, and we need to we need to change the way that viewers are interacting with their content because. And Peter Hutton said it really nicely. We shouldn't be asking our viewers anymore what we want to watch. We, we, we need to be asking our viewers what we want to do. Over the next few years, there's going to be major events, major tournaments that will be using gamification. There will be major broadcasters that will be switching on gamification with, with Sport Buff. And when that happens, it will be a domino effect. I think this will be the normal, as is Twitter at the moment, as is Instagram or or WhatsApp. Essentially, people will be buffing over everything, any data, any uh, content that, that they really want to. The Sports Pro Podcast is published by Sports Pro Media. The producer is Ed Dixon. 